Hello, and welcome to the Emotional Expedition Podcast. I'm Meg Thomas, and if you want to live a more open-hearted, magical life, it all starts with your emotions. This podcast will take you on a journey, helping you to better understand, express, release, and heal your emotions. Let's get exploring. Welcome back, everyone. I am with a very special guest, a new friend today, Barrett Freiber. She is a spiritual embodiment coach. She's a writer, yoga instructor. She is a muse for transforming challenge into epiphany. And I had the pleasure, the honor of meeting her last month in Denver. We were both at the same breathwork teacher training. So now we are both embodying all things breathwork as well. And I have already learned so, so much from her. One of the tools in her toolbox that she's going to share some with us is about the Enneagram. She's going to share her story, how she has healed herself physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, all the things and offer us some insight of how we can use the Enneagram to understand ourselves better as well. So welcome, Barrett. How are you today? I am great. I'm so excited to be here with you. We are so excited to have you. So let's just start at the beginning. Tell us about young Barrett. What were you like as a child? (laughs) Did you have any connection with your emotions as a child? Mm -hmm. What do you remember about that time? As a child, I have always been in touch with my emotions. And I feel I am very passionate, very passionate. And so when I was younger, I had just finished college. I got into the corporate world. I was working as a project manager for a market research company, and I did very well in that position, although I was not fulfilled by that position. And I was working really long hours, and I was so stressed out. I started to have heart palpitations at age 25, and I decided, you know what? I'm going to leave. And right before I left was the time when I discovered the Enneagram. And I've always loved personality assessments. I, they're highly useful, all of them for different reasons. And the thing I love most about the Enneagram is it's less a personality assessment and more a path back to our divine essence. So one of the ways I love to use it is knowing that first, somewhere along the way, for many of us in our childhood, we had a wound or a trauma, and we learned a coping mechanism or even a coping addiction that may have at that time saved our life. However, now it is not helping us. In fact, it's kind of like shooting ourselves in the foot when we continue to do that pattern. So I see the Enneagram as like a roadmap back to our divine essence, our best selves, however you want to say that. And uh, leaving that job and about three months later, I had just out of nowhere, now looking back, I see it wasn't out of nowhere. I had chronic insomnia and Lyme disease, which was my biggest blessing in disguise in Mm -hmm. this life. And so that really catapulted me 
back into alignment with who I really am, which is a spiritual being having this crazy human experience. And that hardship really forced me to look at some of my wounds. And because I knew I had to, if I wanted to get better. So I had this huge fire under my ass. I think a lot of people shove their traumas or their wounds or whatever makes them uncomfortable in the closet. And for me, I was lucky enough that the universe saw I had no intention of opening that closet for a long time. Mm. And it just the closet opened on its own with my illness. And so then I was forced to deal with my stuff. And I'm really grateful for that. That's one of the reasons I'm sitting here with you. And I get to meet wonderful people. We had an amazing, amazing group in our breathwork training in Denver. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that with us. So can you tell us more about how does having Lyme disease and this chronic insomnia, how does having these really serious medical issues, how does that force you to change? Because I don't know if it does for people always. A part mm-hmm. of my story as well is medical and illness mm-hmm. change the trajectory of my life. But I don't know if it always does for people. So how did that become a catalyst for change for you? That is such a good question. I've always been someone, if there's a problem, I want to figure out a solution. And there is no worse torture than insomnia. Like literally, when people are imprisoned, they torture them, they put them in little boxes, they can't sit down, they can't stand up, so they can't fall asleep. And that's what's considered one of the worst forms of torture. So when I say chronic insomnia, there were periods where I wasn't sleeping, like at all, basically zero to two hours a night for six months, there was times like that. And so I was on the verge of literally losing my mind. And I was like, okay, my soul knew that, well, let me back up a minute. So one, I was willing to try whatever it took, whether that be energy work, trauma release, changing my diet, learning about the Enneagram, homeopathy, you know, I tried it all. I did it all. I was like, if this is going to help one inch, if that even makes sense, I will do it because Mm -hmm. I am motivated to heal and to get better. And so I remember when I had insomnia, I remember this memory vividly. I was in my family's cabin. I was living there with my mom at the time to recoup. And I was reading about the Enneagram and I am an eight. And I saw the pattern of the eight, which is to one of their self-sabotaging patterns is to overexert themselves. Now, many of the types do this. So this isn't just an eight thing, but the why they do it their motivation for overextending themselves is the differentiating between the types. So I realized, wow, if I co-created my illness and insomnia from shoving shit under the rug, from overdoing anything I could overdo, work, exercise, socializing, cleaning, you named it, I was doing anything to not think about the exquisite pain of grief of my father's death when I was 14, 
and, and different traumas like that. And so when I saw, wow, this is a pattern that I run. So if I co-created this issue, then I can uncreate it. Now, sure, you can get Lyme by bitten by a tick, but the chronic insomnia, that is the inability to let go. So I wasn't able to let go because I hadn't really felt and healed my issues to let go. So these medical issues were a huge motivating force for me to get better. And so I literally tried everything. Within a year's time, I think I worked with 15 different medical and holistic practitioners. And the three things that really got me back to sleep. Now, there was a lot of things, but the three (laughs) things that was like night and day were one, the trauma release modality that I now do. It's called MER, mental emotional release. It's similar to EMDR, except what I love about MER is that it works on epigenetics. So a lot of our traumas aren't even ours of this life. They've been passed down from our ancestors. So people now are familiar with this because of slavery or the Holocaust. And unfortunately, a lot of those ancestors didn't have the tools or resources to heal their trauma. So they pass it down through the DNA. Mm -hmm. So doing that energy work. I work with a woman, Wendy Schopner, and she does her kind of own thing. It's called blue mist healing. She really helped me get back to sleep. And then third, the last little piece that helped me get back to sleep was in 2020, I was under so much stress. I didn't realize it at the time, but I burnt through all my progesterone and it was my brother who currently works at biohacks that said, you know what? It sounds like your hormones are whacked out. I think you need to come work with us. And I'm so excited. His boss, Dr. D was just on Aubrey Marcus's podcast. And so Mm. they're doing some incredible work in the functional medicine world. And so now knowing like as a woman, if you don't have progesterone, you can definitely have insomnia. So you combine those three things. It's no wonder that in times where I was not sleeping literally at all, that I would try anything. And I, I, I'm not a, a pill person. Mm-hmm. I don't like to use pharmaceuticals, but when I was desperate enough, there were times I would take a Xanax and the Xanax wouldn't even do anything. Yeah. And so if there's anyone out there listening that is like, oh my God, that is my experience. I hear this from my coaching clients, from some coaching clients who have insomnia. That means your insomnia is directly related to trauma. And here's the great thing. People think, oh, I'm going to go to yoga or meditate or, and I do all of those things. And this is going to cure me. Yeah. It's never, and I'm sure you know this about your medical journey. It's never just one thing. Nope. And especially sleep is such a complex issue. We have to tackle it from the spiritual, mental, emotional, physical realm. And so I think where some people are, like I have some friends, and this is where I love the Enneagram because I can see where they're coming from. I have some friends that like they have an issue and they become overwhelmed by it. So instead of actually doing something about it, 
ignore it. Avoid. And then it becomes worse. Yes. So I'm not that type of person. I'm the type that's like, oh, I have this issue. I'll try anything to overcome it. Would you say that because you mentioned some of this unresolved trauma, unresolved grief, would you say that that was playing a role in your physical well-being at that time? Was this playing a role in your illness of your experience? You're such a great question asker. (laughs) Yes. Yes, for sure. And how I know the answer is yes, is because my insomnia started, insomnia and Lyme, well, the insomnia started out of nowhere, August 3rd of 2015. And 2015 and 16 were the worst years in terms of my insomnia. And then I found Wendy, the energy worker in October of 17, I started to get some relief. And then I would go through these phases where I would sleep for two weeks and then I would have complete insomnia, not sleeping at all for two weeks. And so it was like, I could not really plan for my life. It was like this. Then I began to notice in 2018 and in 2019, right around my father's death anniversary. So yesterday was February 23rd, 2023. And 20 years ago in 2003, that was the day he had his brain aneurysm. Well, you know, that book, the body keeps the score to me, that means the body remembers, right? So it took me a while, but I realized that I would have these relapses of insomnia right around that time for two years. It was like on the nose, yeah, right around that time of my father's death anniversary. And then I've had some other little hiccups with insomnia since around a very traumatic time. And it's always some like anniversary of some sort of trauma loss. And so that's why I think it's so important to heal our trauma. I had someone the other day say, Oh, I don't have a big trauma like that. And I said, oh, well, we all have trauma. We just had a little pause happen, which, you know, sometimes spirits talking (laughs) through us or whatever is happening energetically. And what you were talking about was this idea that the body keeps the score, the body remembers. And yesterday was the anniversary of my dad's death. And yeah, so... I think we share that. So was yesterday the anniversary of your dad's first getting ill or was that the anniversary of his death as well? Well, it was the anniversary of his brain aneurysm, which was sudden. And so although he died on the 16th of March, my brother and I and my mom feel that like yesterday was the big day because that was the day our our lives changed. Mm. Wow, I didn't know that we shared this moment in time. And and my dad, mm. his was a heart attack and so very sudden as well in the sense that we had no preparation. There was no knowing this was coming kind of thing, which it sounds similar to, 
to your experience. So, so I'm surprised and not surprised that our dads are both with us and the computer just did something I've never seen it do before. I have chills all over my body and my body remembers that as well. Like this idea that Mm. the body is truly keeping the score, whether we're conscious of it or unconscious of it, I can't ever sleep the night he died in the middle of the night and and I'll wake up it's like I know the date is coming but then I kind of forget about it mm. as you move through the month but then always I find myself awake in the middle of the night and I'm like what's going on in this way and then I'll you know look at my phone and I'm like oh okay this is what happened then my body remembers that wow yeah just like you said, I am surprised and not surprised at all that we share that February 23rd. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So if the body is keeping the score, right? Yeah. And you and I have done so much healing work, but yet our bodies still remember. Mm-hmm. So what is that experience like for you? The experience of my body remembering or or the insomnia. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because I think what I want to offer people is almost there is no finish line. (laughs) There is no, if you Mm. do this, if you do this, you know, whatever modality it is, whatever form of healing or many, many forms of healing, I think sometimes there's this illusion that we're going to get to a place and it's all going to be figured out and healed. And for me, my experience with the grief of losing my dad has continued to come up over and over again, almost like an onion being peeled. And it's like just one more layer where there is no destination for me of healing the grief. It's just always these little pieces that come up and I get to experience it again in some way and heal a new layer, heal a new level. Would you agree that your process has been similar or different than that? 100%. And I love that you're bringing this up as an offering for other people because when I really committed to my healing journey and and realigning myself with who I am, which is this very spiritual person, uh, that was during my insomnia. And I thought, oh, let me just do this and I'll be finished with it. Or I'll, I'll have this healed forever. And, you know, one, everyone out there, we've all lost someone that we have loved. And so I think we live in a culture that thinks, oh, you've grieved. It's been six months. Now get over it. That is so not the case. And it's also not the case that we go into this victim mode and play the dead dad. My dad, <laughs> that's a tongue twister. My dad died card. It's neither of those. It is one when the grief comes up, we honor it. And maybe the grief comes up, it sounds like for both of us, that our body is in a way traumatized and it doesn't sleep. And we, instead of judging it or this is wrong, this is bad, I haven't done enough work. No, none of that saying, hey, how can I have compassion for myself in this moment? 
I think spirit has a funny sense of humor, just like we got cut off a minute ago. It also always usually comes at the most inconvenient times. And yet when we can lean into it, like it's like some people are afraid to cry in public yet the final time they cry in public, there's like this huge layer of the onion that's pulled off. So even with my insomnia, you know, the chronic, chronic piece lasted six years yet. I just literally had a hiccup last night. I slept and I had a three, four day hiccup. And then a couple of weeks ago, I had a hiccup that were correlating to these anniversaries. Now they were not to the point of, I didn't sleep at all, but it was this time around because I know that my body is still healing. I have come so far. I'm so grateful that I can actually live my life and plan to have an interview, podcasts, and have clients, even if I have a night of troubled sleeping here and there. And most people do, whether they have insomnia or not. So I'm so glad you're bringing this up because there are amazing tools that create incredible transformation and healing. And yet there is always more transformation and healing to be done. Mm. And I think that's so important for everyone out there, whether you're, you know, you have an illness, whether your heart is broken from a loss or whether you just feel lost, like that's what we're here for. We're here to learn and grow. And I look at my hardships as things that have given me the qualities that I love most about myself. Mm. And that is such the reason why I wanted I wanted to know you more and wanted to have you in my life and wanted to have you on this podcast is that is one of my core beliefs in life. My biggest beliefs that I hold is that our challenges can be the birthplace of such transformation and growth if we let it, if we let it. So when mm. I when I work with these women um, who are struggling to conceive and it's like you can feel very much and with any illness, I would say you can feel very much into that victimhood of, you know, why is this happening to mm. me and that kind of energy. And for me, I'm like, oh, look at this. This is an opportunity. This is an opportunity to grow. And does it feel that way when you're sick? No. And I myself, like you just mentioned of having a moment having days or nights of insomnia coming back into your life. Right now, I'm in this SIBO flare-up, which I've been in for the last couple months, small intestine, bacterial overgrowth. Mm. And so I've just been really asking that question of what's going on with my emotions right now? And I'm starting to look at, like, am I feeling too stressed? Because I think for me, like, a big relationship is between stress and my gut health. And Mm. I love how you're bringing that up in the sense of it's not our journeys. We want it to look like this, like the, you know, steep line of point A to point B, this beautiful line. But really, it's like, 
take a couple steps up, maybe have a step back, take a couple steps up, step back. Mm. And the more we can be in relation to that flow and not fighting it, the better. I love that so much that you're able to look at, you know, your gut health as a way that your body is signaling to you, hey, hey, pay attention. And in fact, if we look at it that way, it's like, what a gift that for you, it's your gut. For me, it's my sleep. For other people, they may have migraines. But what if these things, instead of, oh, just pop an Advil or pour yourself a drink or these quick fixes that are condoned by our society, what if instead these situations, I don't believe in gurus, but what if our experiences are our gurus? Like, Oh, okay. Wow. Thank you. Insomnia. Like, what is it that I am not letting go of? Or how do I need to relax more? There's an amazing book. It's called uh, The Secret Language of the Body by Inna, I-N-N-A, Segel or Segel, S-E-G-E-L. She's an MD and she turned totally holistic. And you can go every single thing like SIBO, insomnia, Lyme disease, migraines. And she'll tell you the emotional, very similar to Louise Hay, except deeper in the symbolism of like, what is this really coming from on an emotional standpoint? And we live in a world that we're, we're very physically oriented. You know, we keep our bodies clean. We do physical hygiene. We shower every day. But what about our spiritual and our emotional hygiene, right? And what if we're just looking at it too one-sided? Oh, I need to take this pill to get me to sleep. But the pill is just a mask when the real issue, sure, there are physical things like not having progesterone is a physical thing. Right. And I think if we can look at it in more of a fifth dimensional way, then these hardships or these illnesses can be our greatest teachers and our greatest gifts of like, what a gift that our body can say, Hey, something is not right. And I'm, I'm telling you like a rattlesnake, you know, everyone's terrified of rattlesnakes, like, but they rattle at you. They give you a sign, say, Hey, stay away. Hey, I'm right here. I don't think I know that our bodies do the same thing. And if we can look at it as, wow, what is my body trying to communicate with me? There's some really beautiful gems underneath that question. Mm, You are speaking my language. (laughs) (laughs) I love this conversation. I knew you. Mm -hmm. Yes. So tell us about the Enneagram. How, How did the Enneagram help you to heal? How did it help you to know yourself better? Why does it matter? Tell us about your journey with the Enneagram. So for those out there that don't know the Enneagram, I'll just give you a brief what it is. Once again, it's less a personality assessment and more a road back back to your divine essence. And most people know there's nine numbers in the Enneagram, which is very like 2D but they don't know that there's actually 108 variations of those types. So the Enneagram is extremely dynamic. 
And why the Enneagram is so impactful. Whereas I feel like astrology is really great for like, hey, this time of your life, you need to focus on this and kind of like predictions of not, well, kind of planning. The Enneagram is more about how can I come into better relationship with myself and then thus better relationship with everyone else in my life. And so within all of us, there is a void or a restlessness. And many of us seek for something that seems to be missing. But we all seek for it in different ways. So some of us seek it through material things, cars, clothes, houses. Some of us seek through it through relationships, through achieving more, through throwing ourselves into personal development or trying to be in control of things. I could go on and on. And although in moderation, these things can be wonderful, they never completely fill the void. Mm. So then we have to ask, what are we really looking for? And on a deep level, we're seeking answers of who am I? Why am I here? And what is my purpose? And to me, the Enneagram gives us a look into those things. And in every great spiritual philosophy, there's a both and component, like archetypes. There's no good or bad archetype. There's just a light side and there's a dark side. So the Enneagram is based on archetypal philosophy. And so let's take the eight because we know I'm an eight. The eight's greatest strength is their strength. And guess what? Their greatest weakness is also their strength. So mm-hmm. I'll give you an example from my life. I was so strong. I was the one at my father's funeral consoling my friends when the one I should have been the one being consoled, but that's just who I was. And that's how I dealt with it as a young girl. And so getting older, you know, I was so strong. I overdid everything. I had so much energy. I could overdo everything until I couldn't. And so while now I run a business where I'm I'm holding space for people, which takes strength. And I work out in a way that takes a lot of strength. I'm more in a space of health with my strength. So the Enneagram both shows here are your God-given talents, your innate talents. And also these talents that are so beautiful and wonderful when not used with intention or overused or underused can also take you down. So to me, it's like, and because we are always changing, the Enneagram is fluid like that as well. So without getting too much into it, if you look up, you know, Google the Enneagram symbol, and you'll see that there's lines in between the numbers. Well, we'll stay with the eight as an example. The eight does not become a two or a five. But if you look at those lines, the eight when in health balances themselves out with more two attributes. Twos are very generous. They have a huge heart. They're very caring. When an eight is in stress, they're going to bring in more attributes of the five. The five loves to research and withdraw to kind of figure out their plan. And so the Enneagram is so dynamic 
And if you think about the lines, like they are little maps. Hey, and like I've noticed sometimes when I go to my five, it's very necessary for me to withdraw from the world, do a little bit of research. And then when I'm feeling more myself, I can go back into the world and do my strong eight gift or eight thing. So a lot of people, when I teach this, they're like, oh, going to stress is bad. And the example I always use is think about when you do a bicep curl, you're stressing your bicep and eventually your bicep becomes stronger. So there's no bad, oh, it's bad to go to your stress number. Mm. But the Enneagram to me is so useful. Once you learn how to use it for yourself, that's hugely impactful. And the way it's been most impactful, it sounds so obvious, the way it's been most impactful for me is realizing that not everyone is an eight or not everyone has the same motivations or desires as I do. And so I used to think, oh, this person doesn't like me. Well, now that I know the Enneagram, I see a lot of those people I thought don't like me were with it, were in the withdrawn social group of the Enneagram. So where I am, if I come into a new group, I go right up to people. I talk to them. I'm very outgoing. Well, not everyone is like that. And that's okay. And what's so cool about the Enneagram, there's not, oh, well, the outgoing type is the right way and the withdrawn is the wrong way. No. In fact, for me as an eight, as an insertive type, I can learn how to be a little bit more withdrawn and mysterious. And so that's what my withdrawn friends and family can teach me. And then I can teach my withdrawn friends and family how to be a little bit more assertive and make things happen. So it's like this beautiful way. It's not about, oh, I'm an eight and whatever. It's actually when we're in our best place, the goal of the Enneagram is to be a balance of all the types. It's not to be your type. And of course, even when you're in the balance of all your types, if you're an eight or whatever number you are, let's take the eight, for example, you're still going to have your individual spark of strength, of deep presence as an eight, but you're not going to have those self-sabotaging patterns that the eight or whatever number you are run. And to me, that is so empowering when we can see, oh, this practice, let me do this practice to bring me into integration. It's like spiritual medicine that you can take to really do whatever you want to do. I love this because it's so knowing this about yourself, knowing the strengths and weaknesses can help you to understand yourself better help you understand when you're in stress or not in stress, not that it's good or bad. I love the biceps metaphor because I think when we say stress, we have such a negative feeling of it, but stress can be good for us as well. Mm. So I've never heard anybody say using the Enneagram as in stress, that can be a good strength as well. But what I'm also hearing you say is it helps you understand and be in relationship with others better as well. That this 
knowing yourself and knowing how other people move through the world, because I can be that person, even just thinking to the two of us meeting, that when I'm in a new environment, even though I take on these roles of leadership and I have this very extroverted part of myself, when I am in a new environment where I don't know people, I tend to withdraw. I tend to be more quiet and on the sidelines and it takes me days. You know, I was once at this really powerful retreat in Maui and I had never done anything like it. It was like the first, it was one of the first moments of this massive transformation into this next version of who I was becoming and my growth journey. And it was a long retreat. I don't remember how many days, seven or 10 days, something like that. It was like day four before I said a word. Like people didn't even know my voice. And so that's an experience that I have. And it it would never have anything to do with like me not wanting to know Barrett and me not wanting to fall in love with her. That's just my experience of how I move through those kind of situations. So I love, I love that you shared that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So would it be helpful, because I also don't want to generalize it, to share a little bit about each of the types? Do you think that's helpful or do you think that's more harmful in when you're first learning the Enneagram? Well, one thing I think would be really helpful is to go through the intelligence centers, Let's which it. will touch on all of the types. The Enneagram is made up of triads or groups of three because it's based on sacred geometry and then also modern psychology and spirituality. And so one thing anybody listening, even if you don't know your type yet, we can take something away from this. And this is, I learned from one of my teachers, Chris Hewitts, who wrote the sacred Enneagram. And he worked with Richard Rohr who is an Enneagram master and has met Mother Teresa. He has an incredible story. And he talks about the contemplative prayer practice or basically a type of meditation practice to bring each center into balance. So what are the three centers? We have the body center. It's also referred to as the gut. So the body or the gut center. We have the heart or the feeling center. And we have the head and the thinking center. And so you can see this like in the triune brain. They talk about this in science. And so the eight, nine, and one make up the gut center, the gut or the body center. The two, three, and four make up the heart and the feeling center. And the five, six, and seven make up the thinking and the head center. And so in the spiritual world, there's I've heard people refer to this as the three S's and those S's are stillness, solitude, and silence. And we need all three to be the best versions of ourselves. Or I know some people don't like that language to become back to our divine essence. So although we need all three, when you find your type, so if, if you're eight, nine, or one, you're in the body and gut center, you need stillness the most. So these types 
use their bodies a lot. One of my best friends is a yogi, is a credible yogi like myself, and she's a one. And we both used to joke like we had a little kind of like exercise addiction. We're both in a much healthier place, but you can see how stillness would be very helpful for those types, eight, nine, and one. Two, three, and four, the heart or the feeling center. These types are concerned, what does this person think of me? Or how can I connect or receive validation from? And so for the heart center, these people need solitude the most. Spending time with themselves so they can get to know their higher self and have that relationship with spirit or God. And then the the third center is the thinking center, five, six, and seven, thinking or head center. And so to still the mind, they need silence. So for these people who are always thinking, thinking, and it doesn't mean these types are the smartest, they're fast thinkers and they're, you know, forward thinking, they need silence. So that practice has been so helpful for myself. And it's also been so helpful when I implement this in my coaching. When I know my clients type, I have them do a one hour per week, at least of their contemplative practice, whether that be stillness, solitude, or silence. Mm, I love that. What does a stillness practice look like? My favorite stillness practice is to go outside. I leave my phone inside. I maybe take a glass of water. And for an hour, I just sit there. I just sit. I watch the birds. And I just sit. I'm not meditating. I'm not like doing something. Because even meditating is doing something like one way I know people are eights is like, they're like, what should I do? And like, if you ask that question, that doesn't mean you're an eight. I don't want people to get that. But there's a flavor of that in all of the eight, nine and one. Oh, let me do something about that, especially with the eight and the one. So to not do anything brings those types back into balance. Mm. I like that. I'm thinking about I love to take baths, but I always am like, well, what do I, what should I be doing in there? I should be reading a book or reading a business book or listening to a podcast. Like it's a challenge for me to get to that place Mm. of just be. What are some of the other, what's another practice for one of the other types? I see a lot of twos have yeah, two, all, well, all of them, two, three, and four have trouble being alone. Okay. So, so that's recently, the solitude. That's yes. the, okay. Yep. So what does that look like? So like having, I wouldn't say I would have a couple hours by yourself, like reading a book or journaling or doing something that is best done alone. Mm. I'm very comfortable in solitude. And that's another thing about the Enneagram, like, well, not everyone is. And so it's actually what we're uncomfortable with, what we resist the most. 
as I'm sure you've heard that saying by Carl Jung, what we resist persists. Mm -hmm. So if you're resistant to something, and I'm not talking about being crazy and jumping off a cliff, but if you're resistant to spending time alone, or you're resistant to being still and not doing anything, or you're resistant to being silent, once again, your body is saying, hey, it's like you go into a yoga class and you're like, I don't even know what down dog is. But you keep coming back and you learn down dog, you learn up dog, you learn all the poses. So I think there's this concept in our society. It's like, oh, I'm not going to be silent because I don't know how to be. Well, of course you don't because you've never practiced it. (laughs) So like, how can you, that's another piece of the Enneagram. It's, it's about coming with it with compassion. You know, I still catch myself in do, 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 do. And now I have a sense of humor with myself. Oh, here you go again, Barrett. And I can catch myself in the act with compassion. Because if you catch yourself in the act and you're a drill sergeant with yourself, that's not very helpful. And the last one was, was it silence? Was that the last? Uh Uh-huh. What's a practice for silence? Yeah, I was recently talking to uh, a five I know, and she said, she's talking about how she like, she also has insomnia. And it's actually eights and fives are most likely to have insomnia on the Enneagram, which is a fun fact. And she's like, Oh, yeah, I go to sleep by listening to audiobooks. And I'm like, Oh, my God, you need to like, practice silence. And she's like, Oh, my God, I'm terrified of silence. So whether you're five, six or seven, I would recommend a silent meditation. So when you have your meditation practice, set a timer and you can start small, start with three minutes, build up to five and then seven. And then, you know, maybe one day you'll go up to 20 or 45 minutes. Another silence practice would be similar to the stillness practice I do and to go outside, leave your phone, maybe take a glass of water and just sit there. To me, the nature is silence. It is, you know, you got the birds and yet that is like the most beautiful silence. Mm. So you can probably, those who are listening and are like, oh, I don't know my type, but damn, I hate silence. Or I'm very uncomfortable in silence. That may be a clue for you. If this is brand new to someone, where do you suggest how they start to uncover this or learn more about themselves? That's a great question. A lot of the Enneagram is taught from a very academic standpoint. And so people just say, oh, just take the test. And I'm going to say something really controversial. I don't like the fucking test. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. I have found more people mistype themselves than get the correct type. Yeah. And so it depends like what mood are you in that day? And so to answer your question, I don't think the test is wrong or bad, but sometimes I think you rob yourself of the journey of really getting to the pearls of wisdom. And so one, I would recommend like get yourself a book and read it cover to cover. My favorite books are the 
The Wisdom of the Enneagram by Don Riso and Russ Hudson, who are like the grandfathers of the Enneagram. And then I already mentioned The Sacred Enneagram by Chris Hewitts. And then I would recommend working with an Enneagram professional like myself, take a course. I recently had this conversation with my teacher and mentor, Tawny. She would not say this about herself and I'm going to say it. She is an Enneagram master and she's highly intuitive. And so we were talking about the Enneagram and I told her how I felt about the test. And she says, well, do you remember when you met me and you were 25 and I told you you were an eight? She was like, did you feel robbed of your experience? Did you, you know, dislike that? And I was like, actually, no, I loved it. And so what I've learned is I've learned from Tawny to use my intuition and my psychic gifts. I also have been studying the Enneagram for many, many years. And also from Chris Hewitts, who taught me this typing interview process that I took you through. So I'm using both and I'm using an academic standpoint and from an intuitive standpoint. Hmm. Cause I think if we dismiss our own intuitions, we're losing some really rich innate wisdom there. So I say, if you want to really get the most out of it, don't take the test, read a book. And usually your type is the one it's like, Oh yeah, I'm this, I'm that. Oh yeah. I like that. And it's like, Oh shit. (laughs) Did someone just read my diary? Like there may even be some like shame or anger or fear of like finding out your type. It's like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then it's like, no. (laughs) And there's a lot of types this is another reason why I don't just say, Oh, go take the test that never want to be their types or their harder to type. Six is one of those numbers. My mom is a six. So I think there's deep, you know, and before we got on this call, I said about the course I'm going to be teaching, I've decided to teach it where People are going to pay for the course, but then they'll also get a typing interview out of it, except I'm going to wait to do the typing interview at the end. Mm. And although that may be uncomfortable for people, the ego is not bad. The ego has kept us alive. However, the ego is extremely uncomfortable in waiting and in the unknown. So how do we strengthen our, our soul, our divine essence is waiting in the unknown. Mm. And I think when the Enneagram or really anything is taught in that manner, there's more of a richness, a deeper opportunity to, to not only know ourselves, but know the content and let like your innate intuition come through. Some people on here may be like, Oh, I'm not intuitive. Everyone's intuitive. Everyone has walked into a restaurant or a bar and thought, ooh, this is weird energy and leave. That's intuition. And so when we give ourselves an opportunity to strengthen that muscle, just like so many of my yoga students, they can't do chaturanga at first. Well, six months later, they can do it with grace and ease. Same thing. Love that. I had the 
the pleasure of doing a typing interview with you. And the Enneagram to me had been always something that I didn't fully understand. It wasn't easy for me to just pick up and quickly understand. So where I could connect with astrology based on, you know, these dates and specific like, okay, here's where you fall. The Enneagram was kind of this more elusive thing for me. And once I met you and in Denver and started hearing your passion and how you talked about it, I was like, yes, like this is the teacher I've been waiting for. This is the person I want to learn from. And I love this idea of having the course be going through it, learning all the types, because on this conversation, we just shared how important it is to be able to understand other people better. It's not just about understanding ourselves. So yes, we want to learn and focus on our number, but really it's the whole, it's all of it to be able to to move through our relationships with more more ease, more love, more understanding and compassion. So I will definitely be signing up for this course because I want to learn from you and to fall deeper into what it means as a whole. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Are you ready for some rapid fire questions? Yes. Let's <laughs> okay. rapid fire. <laughs> All right. What is your favorite book? My favorite memoir is Wild by Cheryl Strait. Gosh, I've never told you this. We haven't known each other long enough, but I have a Cheryl Strait story of how I I crashed dinner party with her. And so she's my hero. So when I think of who is my hero in this world, it's Cheryl Strait. So of course, of course we have that in common. All right. I love her writing. I'm so excited for Tiny Beautiful Things is going to be coming out on HBO. I think it's HBO very soon. Wow. So I'm really excited to see what that looks like. So, mm-hmm. Do you follow her on Substack as well? She's like the only no. person. Where, yeah, you can. I think it's like $50 a year and you get monthly pieces of writing from her. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. She's the only one I, I subscribe to on Substack, but I love her writing mm. that much. So, mm. And I know you're writing a memoir, so I'm sure that both you and I have a lot of her influence with us as we yes. are writing our memoirs. Yeah, I love how honest and vulnerable she is and so real and authentic about it that it's like she rises up. Like there's not this victim consciousness in her writing. It's very real. And wow, this was brutal. And I got through it. I love like the hope in all of her writing, whether it's wild, tiny, beautiful things. I've read a ton of her essays and I'm always just left so moved, so moved. The first tattoo that I'm, I've never had a tattoo, but I am going to get it. And it's going to be on my wrist and I'm ready to make that appointment and it's going to be brave enough, which I first heard that term from mm. her, which just really resonates with me. So brave enough. Mm. 
What are you currently reading? I just finished What My Bones Know, Healing from Complex PTSD by Stephanie Fu. And that was amazing. Mm -hmm. It's like memoir slash research book. And this woman has an incredibly traumatic story. And I love she starts out her the book like, you know, this may be really triggering for some of you. There's a lot of physical abuse. You may have to skip a couple pages and I forgive you. And then like at the forward, she says, and this book does have a happy ending. Mm-hmm. And so it's about her incredible journey. And it's about all of these different modalities that she's tried. And I don't know if she comes out and says this, but she's along the lines that like, this is something we're all in for the rest of our lives. It's not a done and dusted type of thing. It's this return. You just keep peeling the layers of the onion. Hmm. I love that. That's on my list to read. So what is one thing you know for sure? One thing I know for sure, and this is so cliche and I don't even care, is... (laughs) is love is the answer. Hmm. Okay. I'll agree Mm -hmm. with that. I'm in. Do you have a favorite poem or quote you want to share with us? Yes. I I have this one memorized. It's a quote and it's by Og Mandino. And he says, I will love the sun because it warms my bones. Yeah, I will love the rain because it cleanses my spirit. I will love the light because it shows me the way. Yet I will love the darkness because it shows me the stars. I will welcome happiness as it enlarges my heart. Yet I will endure sadness mm-hmm. because it opens my soul. Wow. Thank you. And who was that by again? Og Mandino. Hmm. Okay. Oh, well, Barrett, this conversation has just warmed my heart. I'm so grateful to get to know you better and to be able to share you and your wisdom. Mm-hmm. We will have all of the links in the show notes, of course, her Instagram is at Barrett Freiber, and that is F R E I B E R T. Her website, mm-hmm. BarrettFreiber.com. And she has a course coming up soon. When will that start? So the course is going to be Intro to the Enneagram, and it's going to be three Saturdays in April. So April 1st, April 8th. And April 22nd, and it'll be 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Mm. And you'll get six hours of content. If you can't make it one day, it'll be recorded. And then after the course, then you'll, you'll set up your, your free typing interview with me. And then you'll, we'll dive deep into that. Amazing. So we'll share that information Mm -hmm. as well. And anything else you want to share? Yes. So one thing I'm really excited about is 
One of my favorite places in the world is New Mexico, especially Taos. Uh, I used to live in Santa Fe and love Taos, visited all the time. So I'm offering a yoga, meditation, and breathwork retreat where we'll also be doing learning the Enneagram. And that is September 25th to the 30th of 2023 in Taos, New Mexico. You can go, you know, on my Instagram, Barrett A. Freibert, or go look at where it's being held at Hyperslow on Instagram. And yeah, I am so excited. This place is so dreamy. Looks magical. And yeah, already I have a a couple people already signed up and a lot of people interested. It's going to be amazing, powerful, spiritual, fun group. Mm, Love it. I only work with a certain amount of clients at times so I can really give them my 110%. And I will have some openings in later March for my embodiment and trauma release coaching where I use NLP, the Enneagram, breath work, all the things. And if you're interested, if you resonated with me, you can um, go to my website and book your free consult call, see if we're a good fit. And um, I'm always just happy to hear from you and connect with the community as well. Mm, I love that. And I highly recommend checking out her Instagram website. And this retreat sounds amazing. So, well, thank you, Barrett. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Meg. Mm. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for having me. It has been so, so lovely to connect with you and to learn. I knew, Mm. I mean, I just had this beautiful feeling when I met you. So I'm not surprised we share so many amazing serendipities. Really amazing. I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you for listening. And if you loved this episode, will you please share it with a friend or two? Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So you're sure to never miss a single episode. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.